church, my beautiful family. I like hearing from different pastors because just like my physical food, I love spaghetti, but I don't want to eat it every day. You know, I need to hear it from different people in my spiritual life as well. Last week, pastor taught about that God rescued the children of Israel from Egypt. God's children could not overcome that slavery mindset because of their 430 years of bondage. And even after all the miracles that they witnessed, their unbelief, their fear, and their inability to change prevented them from going into the promised land. Today we are going to look at one of the reasons why they were stuck. And we'll be studying out of chapter 32 in the book of Exodus. If y'all want to go there. But before we, I start getting into this chapter, I want to recap a little bit. Israel had already agreed in being in a covenant with God. As a matter of fact, they had already received their Ten Commandments back in chapter 20. And Moses and Joshua had sent out to go to Mount Sinai so they can receive the commandments written on the stone tablets by the finger of God. But before they left, they put Aaron in charge. And so this is where it picks up. Chapter 32, verse 1. When people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Have you ever wondered who these people are who wanted Aaron to make gods for them so they can lead them out of Israel or lead Israel? Is he being harassed by the six million Israelites that crossed the Red Sea? Our God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, as in all the churches and the saints. See, God established this order back in chapter 18. Moses was settling the disputes for the entire nation, 6 million people, until Jethro, his father-in-law, came in for a visit and said, Moses, you can't do this all on your own. This is way too much of a burden for you to bear and way too much of a burden for the people as well. So select members, people from the Israelites, people that fear God, and then teach them the ways of God. Now, I do want you to go to chapter 24 because we're going to read out of verses 9 through 15 because it's going to give us a little bit more insight into who these people were. Everybody there? Got it? Okay. Verse 9 says, Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel under his feet. There seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli as the sky itself. Did y'all catch that? It says that the 70 elders, along with Aaron and his two sons and Moses, 
saw God all the way down to his feet where they actually knew where he was standing on. Verse 11, And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, Stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, which I have inscribed the instructions and the commands so that you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, Stay here, wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I am gone, Consult with them. So the people identified are the elders. Now who are who was going to Aaron and said, saying, make us a God who would lead Israel? Was it the six million? If God is the God of order, who was it? It was the elders. The elders who ate a covenant meal with God. They were first introduced in Exodus 3.16. God had told Moses, when you go to Egypt, I want you to gather the elders. And when you do that, I want you to tell them that I have heard their cries and I will free my people from the oppression from the Egyptians. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will take them to a land filled with milk and honey. But before Israel was a great nation, they were a family. The family of Jacob and grandson of Abraham, who made a covenant with him because of his faith and obedience. Saying the elders of Israel is a lot easier than saying the oldest males of the individual families of the extended family of Jacob. Right? <laughs> the OT scripture reveals that the elders of Israel were just that. They're the heads of the family. And they were looked up as the wise people. They were sought out for important decisions, guidance, and rulings, responsible for teaching the people and watching over the entire children of Israel. They were leaders by principle and by example. When they were living holy lives, Israel prospered. When they followed idolatry, their nation decayed and suffered. They lived among the people. They were active in their communities and in each other's lives. And there were leaders of the families. Who in here is a leader of the family? If you were a father, a mother, a grandparent, anybody? Leaders of families. Raise them up high. Leaders of family. Y'all are elders. Okay? So God commanded uh, commanded the elders to lead them. Let's go back to Exodus 2. Exodus 32, verse 2. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. It doesn't seem like Aaron put up much of a fight against those elders. 
But scripture tells us that God caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon Israel and they left with the entire wealth of Egypt. Those earrings that Aaron wanted, well, those are the blessings and the gifts that God gave them when they left. And this action, the removing of the earrings, only signified the beginning of this disinheritance by their own hands. Israel was giving up their blessings, their gift that God had given them to create and replace the I am. Let's go to verse, continue on verse 3. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed. When the elders saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited that they were. They actually built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. I don't know about you, but that just broke my heart. These families trusted the elders. They trusted their fathers, their grandfathers. Since they were highly involved in the community, I know that they shared everything that they saw or heard from God. I'm sure that they shared the story that they ate a covenant meal with him and saw him all the way down to his feet. And yet, the I Am did not destroy them. The children got to see the splitting of the Red Sea. They got to see the manna fall from the sky. They got to see the quail. They got to see the water come from a rock and the defeat of the Amalekites. But they did not see him. Their father saw them. The grandfather saw them. And yet, less than two months later, the gold calf came about. Now, the gold calf, that represents... The rejection of faith in God once confessed. Remember, back in Mount Sinai, when the thunder of the mountain was going, they said, yes, we will do whatever you say. God didn't say, you're my people, you do this. I saved you, you do this. No, he sent Moses and said, hey, tell them, this is what I want. Ask them if they want to follow me and be my people. He asked, and they said, yes. By replacing the blessings and gifts that were worshipped instead of the I am came a calf. Now, if I were to place this thing right here and say, These are the gods, O Israel, who led us out of Egypt. These are the gods... O cross church, who brought you out of the life of sin and bondage. What would you say? You say, Mary done lost her mind. <laughs> you look at me pretty crazy and said she wants us to worship an idol. Immediately you will identify this as idol worship. Right? 
But idols are not so easily seen nowadays. You still see them as a Buddha in a Chinese restaurant, or you'll see them as that little kitty that waves to you at the nail salon, right? <laughs> But the devil is not too concerned with those. What he is concerned with is believers. He wants God's people to be distracted. And so he knows that we are smart enough not to bow down and pray to this thing. But he has gotten a bit more creative than this gold calf. What if I showed you this, Ashley? I see here money, a job. Um, how about friends and family, boyfriends? Girlfriends, spouses, children—we'll call that block over there entertainment. A marriage, ministry, and sports. Those are not so easily identified. Proverbs twenty-three twenty-six in the New Living Translation says, "My son, give me your heart." And let your eyes delight in my ways. And Matthew six twenty one also in the New Living Translation says, "For there were where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The reason why I have those pictures up there is because they were all my idols at one time or another. This is where I found my faith, my comfort, my joy, my provision. My fulfillment. This is where I put all my time, energy, and money into. If any of these things were messed up, I was messed up, and it altered my emotions to be depressed, feeling worthless, and better off dead. If you've heard my testimony, now write this down: a definition of an idol. The definition of an idol is anything or anyone that replaces God on the throne of your heart. Now, the throne has always symbolizes power and authority. Who or what are you giving power and authority to? Who or what do you consider before making decisions in your life? Who or what do your emotions depend on? Do you know that you can be your own idol? Your needs, your wants, your expectations, your symptoms, your situations. Me, me, me. You don't understand, but me. You have made yourself an idol. Now we can say that the Lord does sit on the throne of our heart. But is it so? There is an expression that dates back to 1628 that says, "Actions speak louder than words," and it simply means what you do has a stronger impact on people than what you say. It is much easier to lie with your words and with your mouth than with your actions. Titus one two says this. God says they profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. 
Yet another translation says that they deny him by their actions. And yet another says they profess to know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. It continues to read further. God says they are detestable, disobedient, and worthless for doing anything good. See, people knew the God of Israel. They knew his power, but they still denied him by their actions. They dethroned him because of the fear of the unknown. Their lack of faith in the God who rescued him, which I thought was a pretty mighty way, but their actions in celebrating false gods in worship that was meant for him. Now we're still in Exodus 32. We're going to verses 7 through 9. The Lord told Moses, quick, exclamation point. Go down to the mountain, exclamation point. Father was angry. Your people who you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away. I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. And they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. And they are saying, these are the gods of Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, God knows what you're doing, even though nobody else does. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. It wasn't like Israel didn't know God's commands. They actually agreed to them. And I want to go to uh, chapter 20 back in Exodus so we can read what they actually did know. We're going to go over the first few commandments. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God gave these people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Verse 4. You must not make yourself an idol, an image of any kind, in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God, and will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of your parents upon the children of the entire family affected, even the children from the third or fourth generation of those who reject me. Now parents taught, my parents taught me how to worship other gods. Can you put that back up there, Ashley? Thank you, baby. My parents, they didn't go and say, Mary, I want you to worship this God. Not that God. Not, not God in heaven. I want, don't, I want you to worship this one. This is what they said to me. Mary, if you have money, you don't have to worry about anything. All your life will be taken care of. Mary, and when I did, one that I did put up there is um, our appearance. Mary, so long as you maintain your appearance, your husband will never stray. Mary, so long as your your husband is happy, everything is fine. You're going to be happy. If your children are satisfied, you're doing a good job. Now, did any of that advice say, Mary, worship 
those other gods. No, they didn't. I want to finish off verse 20, verse 6, because this is also important. It says, verse 6, after he says that he will, he will, um, the children will be affected from all the third and fourth generations of those who affect me. Verse 6 continues to say, but I lavish my unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. Some people say that the most beautiful language is Spanish and others yet say it's French, but I think it's Hebrew. Hebrew is alphanumeric and each letter is assigned a number and each word tells a meaning and tells a story. It's like a secret language. The Hebrew word for Hebrew is Evri, I-V-R-I, Evri. Evri means Hebrew. If you want to make it plural, you add the I-M, the Im, and it's Evrim. Just like Elohim is God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that word is plural. But the root word for Evri is Avar, A-V-A-R. And Avar means to cross over, which means the Hebrew is the one who crosses over. Okay. The Hebrews, the the Evrim, are the crossed over people. They crossed over from their life of bondage to their life of freedom. They left their old life for a new one. God speaks of another Hebrew, a Hebrew that is joined to Israel by spirit. And those are the followers of the Messiah. In order to be an Evrite, you must cross over. You must leave your old life of bondage, of sin and death for a new one. A life filled with promises. The barrier in which you have to cross over, well, you have to go through the Evrite of the Evrim, the Hebrew of Hebrews. The one who did the ultimate crossover from death to life and the one who has known two realms. And that is Jesus. If you really want to cross over, you must leave Egypt. So how do you do that? You must leave your past life. You must leave what you're used to do. The people you used to hang around with. You have to remove yourself from the old environment back into a new one. That means you cannot even entertain the thoughts of going back. And that does also mean from the smallest, or I think the smallest of things but are so big, is you have to stop watching what you used to watch. You have to stop listening to music that you have to, you are listening to. All this is an, affects your life with the Lord, your, your walk with God. It, anything that can jeopardize even a small amount, it has to be gone. And part of that is to attach yourself to someone, like Pastor says. You attach yourself to someone that has overcome. Attach yourself to someone who has been in the walk a lot longer than you. I attach myself to my sister. Y'all know that she's my sister, right? (laughs) And my pastor. But she's my pastor and my spiritual mother first before she's my sister. And when I had questions about my walk, and it was small questions that I thought were small, 
I used to love to listen to country and Selena when I was doing housework. Remember that conversation we had? Okay. And I could, just could not, did not want to leave it. I had a big house. It took me a long time, but if I listened to that music, it got me going, and I could clean top to bottom. But I asked her the question. I said, Lori, I said, you think it's okay for me to listen? If I had to ask that question, I already know the answer, but I still asked it, right? It reminds me of what Jessica says. If you're on the fence about something, that means it's wrong because the devil owns the fence. Right, babe? <laughs> but that, she, she gave me that a lot later. I need it, Lori, now. So um, I told Lori, can I listen to that? She goes, well, you know that there is a radio station called Engine Radio, and it still has those high beats. You can listen to that. She didn't say no, but she didn't say yes either. So I went home and I listened to um, the praise and worship music. And eight hours later, I was on my floor crying and just welcoming God and being wel- uh, God welcoming me in His presence. Now I did not clean at all that day, <laughs> at all. Not in the physical sense. I did not clean the house at all. But this house. Oh, it was clean. And it remains clean. Because I separate myself from what I listen to and what I watch. Now, crossing the Red Sea, crossing through the Messiah, is not only the only crossover we have to go through. They still had to cross over to Jordan to get to the Promised Land. And we still have to cross over our Jordan to get to the promised land as well. But in the in between the two crossovers, guys, there is a life to live. Commandments to follow. Purging needs to be done. This is our purging to be done. Our promised land, my promised land could be in 30 minutes from now. Or it could be 30 years from now. We don't know when our crossover is going to be. That's why the time is always now. Not, it's a process. I'll get there. It's now. It's as simple as making a decision. Yes or no. That's it. Um, my husband. He was, he was an alcoholic for a while. He made a decision that he was going to stop drinking a year ago. It was not, I'm going to think about it, or I'm going to stop drinking Jack and just drink beer. It it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just as simple as saying yes to Jesus. We must not only leave Egypt. Leaving Egypt is easy. But to have Egypt leave us, that's another thing. Okay. Promises were given to Abraham because of his faith and obedience. And it is faith and obedience that is expected out of Abraham's seed. Both the physical and the spiritual. Now everyone who raised their hands in the beginning. You are all elders. What happened with the children up here this morning, it was the elders surrounding the children. We're all husbands, mothers, grandparents, 
And those who didn't raise their hands, well, one day you will be. You are responsible for teaching your children God's way of life by leading by example and making godly decisions, training your family to worship the one true God, the one true God, not those pictures up there. Now, the elders did a disservice to their family in the in-between state. The elders did not cross over the Jordan. They had too much Egypt still left in them. And their children, their children did. But because they didn't teach, train, or lead by example, their children suffered throughout all the Old Testament because of idol worship, because it was passed on to them. I was saved when I was 17 years old, and I served in a church. But my my husband was a children's pastor, and we, including our three children, would be at church six days a week. In front of the people, we were acting like a Christian, a good Christian, but behind closed doors, our children were confused because we were not acting or living the life that we were preaching. We were acting the opposite So it was no surprise when they grew up, they questioned or had a distorted image of God. We did that. The elders. So many wasted years, so many years in bondage, so many years in pain. That could have been prevented if we just put God in its rightful place in the throne of our heart. Now both my daughters now serve God. They love God. They study They pray fervently, and they keep me and my husband on our toes. (laughs) But it was a result of my husband's and mine's faithfulness and total devotion to him only. We didn't force them to worship God. We led by example. And they're leading by example, and it's just proven even to Madison. I didn't tell you what Madison did yesterday. I'm going to tell the whole congregation. Madison has been our little schoolyard evangelist. And she has, well, she has gotten, I guess, I don't know where she learned this from, probably the Ten Commandments. But she, she has a pet peeve, and she does not like people to say, oh, my God. She does not like that. She says that we are using his name in vain. If we're not praying or talking about him, we should not use his name otherwise for those reasons. And so she has taught the kids in the schoolyard not to say that. So when they say it by mistake, when they say, oh, my God, they quickly look at her and say, um, I know, Madison, don't use the name of God in vain with the air quotes. But yesterday while we were shopping, we were, um, she, I gave her the control of the cart, and she's moving it all over the place. And we're walking out of Petco, and she's like doing this. I said, Madison, where are you going? She goes, I don't know where I'm going right now, Grandma, but my road ends in heaven. (laughs) So they learn, guys. They learn from what we do, not what we say to them. You know, our oldest son, he's a beautiful human being, and y'all will meet him one day. He is struggling with his belief of God that he even exists. Again, a reflection of our leadership. 
But he ex- accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior when he was 12 years old. And because I am doing what my father wants me to do and living the life that I need to live for him, my promise is that it is his will that none that belong to him will perish. I told you that um, Russ and I, we don't hang around people that drink, not even our family. We will not be a part of that. We stand for what we believe in. And just being in their very presence is like the revelry, the pagan revelry that was going on in chapter 32. And I'm not going to be a part of that. But we did go to, uh, to tune out cancer, and we did not give a praise report for tune out cancer. Y'all remember that place that we went to to pray for people? Okay. We went there, and we didn't end up praying for anybody because, you know, that's not what they were there for. They were there to celebrate their thing. But God showed me, or showed us, that we were not there for them. They were there, I mean, they were not there for us. We were there for them. And so what we saw was this. We saw Scripture come to life. We saw pagan worship. We actually saw uh, the songs. We couldn't understand half of them because they were screaming. But you will be very proud of your pastoral staff, the Gibsons, the Valdez, and me and my husband, because we behaved in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people are used to others having these signs and holding them up and saying, you're going to hell for worshiping this music. But we were there out of love. We said our good mornings, our hellos, and how are yous, and, um, and we didn't push anybody. But what we saw is this. We saw the music with the screaming and, and all that other stuff, and the words that we can make out were what? Death? Suicide? What was the other ones? I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I'm going to throw dirt on top of you because I'm going to make you pay for hurting me, kind of things. And then we saw five-year-old little girls dancing to this music, that their parents, they didn't drive them themselves, their parents brought them to this. And then I saw newborns being taken into this place, and what I saw was parents going, here you go, Satan, influence my babies for me. That's what I saw. And so we don't think about that, because when we listen to Selena, when we listen to country music, because it's a little toned down a little more, but the words are there. Because I researched for this when I wanted to look up the words of some songs that I used to listen to. And oh my goodness, I can even, I would be embarrassed to actually repeat some of the words to these songs to you guys. So I didn't do it. But that, when I, uh, started reading that and I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Father. I'm so sorry. Because I started now, it started to come back up. You know, it started the, 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 I only read the words, but the music started coming back up. So if you leave the enemy just a little sliver, the snakes, they can get through any, any crack of your house. The door does not have to be wide open for a snake to get in. And that is exactly what the enemy is. He is a snake. And so, um, I don't even know where I was going with this. Oh, okay. So we saw that and then we saw this. 
it was tame, pretty tame for the music that they were playing. Usually their form of worship is banging into each other or punching themselves in the face. That's how they do their worship or their dancing or whatever. And there was none of that. And even the guy on, on the stage was saying, uh, what's wrong with y'all? Y'all weren't like this yesterday. What's going on? Well, what's going on is the light was there. Scripture says where the light is, darkness has to flee. And so that is what we saw. We saw darkness flee while we were there. We also saw that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Everything was calm. We saw scripture there. We did not waste our time. We actually saw the physical eyes. What We already knew that spiritual was going on. And so for that reason, I say this. The only two people we hang around with that drink is my son and my daughter-in-law. And for the very, first, the very reason why I said what I said before, when the light's there, darkness has to flee. And the darkness has no position and no, nothing over my son. We're there for, and to stand in battle for the Lord. And we will be there all the time. Because as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Yes. And that is exactly why we're there. So if any of y'all have children that are grown up and not living in your house, it's not too late. You live by example. But before I step down, I just want to remind you guys that y'all are ancestors of those yet to come. Your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren that you will never see on this earth. And determining by the way you live your life here, you may not see them up there either. And then there's one more thing. One last thing. I'm sorry. I know that there was one more thing. Do you know that you can make God an idol? You know, God is a God of love, mercy, forgiveness. But that's not all that he is. He is still a jealous God. He gets angry. And there's still rules he wants you to follow. So when you only, if you dissect him and only worship what you like, you have just made him a God. And God says, I am not man made. I am not an idol. I am the I am. Now for an unscheduled audition for the praise and worship team. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs>